Hello and welcome everybody to ICMDA webinars. I'm Dr. Peter Saunders, the Chief Executive of the International Christian Medical and Dental Association. And uh, this is, uh, I think, number 126 in our series of webinars that we started during COVID times way back. And today we're privileged to have back Dr. Walt Larimore, who's going to speak to us on the subject of spiritual history in clinical practice. ICMDA brings together about 60,000 Christian doctors and dentists around the world from uh, about 80 countries, and we expect to have many countries represented today. So it's my great pleasure uh, again to introduce Dr. Walt Larimore back on ICMDA webinars on the subject of spiritual history and clinical practice. Hi, Walt. Good, great to see you. Good so, to be with you, Peter. How come we don't bring our faith to work with us more often? That was the question that the Lord used to convict Dr. Walt of the fact that although his personal relationship with God was the prime relationship in his life, more often or not, he tended to leave God at the door when entering the hospital or medical office. How many of us can identify with that? Dr. Walt Larimore is a family physician. He's the author of ICMDA's The Saline Process, uh, CMDA's The Saline Solution, and Grace Prescriptions, and the inspiration for CMDA's New Faith Prescriptions out recently. Dr. Walt's going to discuss the rationale for including a spiritual history as part of the health history. Just a few questions that all health professionals can ask that will help discern how best to care for our patients while also communicating to them that we care about more than just their physical health. Walt's been recognized an International Health Professionals of the Year and also International Health Scientists of the Year, as well as the 2000 Intellectuals of the 21st Century. So Walt, it's a real delight to have you back here on ICMDA webinars and we look forward to what you have to bring us. God bless you. Thanks. Thank you, Peter. I wish I was there with you. We first met, we were talking before maybe 25 years ago. Um, I've been a physician now for 47 years and 46 years ago, I had the privilege of, of coming to England and being a Queens fellow there in London and Nottingham. And it was when I was uh, making home visits with a GP up in Nottinghamshire uh, that I first was exposed to the idea of, of taking a, a spiritual history with, with patients. But it really wasn't until about 37 years ago, uh, when I just started practice, that I began um, asking, well, how can I bring my faith to work with me, and began to think about spiritual interventions. I'm coming to you today from, from Colorado Springs, or in the shadow of a Pikes Peak. It's a 14,000 foot, 5,000 meter um, mountain. It's sort of dark today because we're having our first snowstorm of the year. We're getting our, our first blizzard going. Uh, speaking of being old, uh, there's a picture of me when I was five years old, sitting next to a little girl who does not look very happy to be sitting next to me. And that's my best friend, of 65 years, and my wife now of 49 years, Barb. Uh, we have two children, adult children who are married, and two grandchildren, and four children that we lost in uh, in pregnancy, who we look forward to meeting in heaven one day soon. So what I'm hoping we'll accomplish in our short time together today is uh, to talk about the evidence-based 
medical reasons for taking a spiritual history or a spiritual assessment. We'll discuss some guidelines recommending a, a spiritual history as an important, I would say, even a critical part of quality patient care. Irrespective of your religiousness, even for atheists and agnostics, this is a tool of clinical care that provides quality care. And then we'll look at some of the, the instruments that are available. Almost everything I'm going to tell you is contained in a review article that I wrote about seven years ago, and it's available online. And uh, later, Peter will be telling you how you can get it actually through uh, ICMDDA. Um, also, Peter, uh, a new article on spiritual assessment just came out last week, and it's located in the journal American Family Physician. That's a subscription um, magazine, but oftentimes some of the articles will appear, at least the abstracts will appear at no cost, and there's a little tiny URL in the handout that will allow you to get to, to that article. This would be important for those of you, especially those dealing in academic the academic world to have a justification uh, to those you work with for what you do, why you do. So uh, Harold Koenig, who is a family physician who became a psychiatrist, practices at Duke University in the United States. He's the head of the Duke Religion on uh, Spirituality and Health. And uh, he has written that the purpose of a spiritual history, as part of the social history, if you're asking about alcohol use and tobacco use and work uh, history and, and where people live, part of their social history, the spiritual history helps you learn about the patient's religious background, if, if any, uh, the role that religious or spiritual beliefs or practices play in coping with illness, causing distress. Uh, it helps you find out any beliefs that may influence or conflict with decisions about medical care. Those of you who have cared for Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, know that a very important tenet of their faith, most of them, is no blood transfusions. And so, at least in our country, here in America, it's considered malpractice to take a Jehovah's Witness to the operating room without knowing that spiritual history, that religious belief. A fourth item of, of spiritual history is to just learn how active are they? Uh, do they have a spiritual community? Is that community supportive or, or not supportive? supportive? And if supportive, how could they be involved in that patient's care? And then any spiritual needs that a patient may have. And uh, data here in America shows that the average hospitalized patient, the average will name three spiritual needs, none of which are typically met during their hospitalization. So I wrote a review article on, on uh, what I called positive spirituality, gosh, almost 20 years ago. And one of the conclusions of that systematic review of the literature was this, that the current evidence encourages physicians, healthcare professionals, and healthcare systems to learn the skill, to learn how to assess their patient's spiritual health and then provide any indicated services, any desired spiritual interventions. It's not to push something on a patient, but rather to find out where they are in their spiritual journey and how that might impact their medical or dental care. And there's five evidence-based reasons that I discuss in the literature for 
a spiritual assessment. One, most patients desire it. Two, most patients benefit from it. Three, it enhances the doctor-patient relationship. Four, it's now considered a standard in quality patient care. And then fifthly, is to identify any religious struggle. So let's start with patient desire. I'm going to hop through these fairly quickly. I'm only going to give you a glimpse of the literature. We're not going to dive into it. The articles do that for any of you who, who need it. So as over 25 years ago, the literature told us that in general, the public appears to view and value spirituality as a central factor in life that appears to be an international quality. When people get ill, they begin to think about spiritual things. This is especially true when they're facing illness, and most of them desire that their healthcare professional inquire about beliefs that are important to them. They don't necessarily want you initially sharing your spiritual beliefs with them, but they're very open to you asking about beliefs that are important to them. Dr. Katz wrote that the ability to identify and address patient spiritual needs has now become an important clinical clinical competency. And that's 10-year-old statement, that part of being a competent healthcare professional is the skill of being able to identify spiritual needs. Katz says, studies have shown that up to 90% of patients want physicians to address their spiritual needs. Now, here in America, that has some geographic variation. There's some areas where more people are interested. There's other areas where it's less people are interested, but almost no one objects to being asked about their spiritual beliefs. In fact, many patients, Kat says, want their spiritual needs addressed by their physician directly or by referral to a pastoral professional, a chaplain, or perhaps their personal pastoral professional. One outpatient survey done about 15 years ago showed that most general practice or family medicine patients desired spiritual discussions during challenging life events. In other words, a patient's more likely to be interested in discussing spirituality if they have cancer than if they have a sore throat. And the data shows that. For example, 70% of patients who indicated they desired a spiritual discussion if they had lost a loved one, 74% if they had a serious medical condition, and 77% for a life-threatening illness. It's not everyone, but it's indeed most of our patients. Now, that same exact study uh, said that patients identified the most important reasons. Here's why they want you, most of them, to ask about their spiritual beliefs. First is, they want you to understand where they're coming from, if you're open to it. And they want you to know any beliefs that they may have that would affect your medical advice and your treatment. There was a cross-sectional study that was published a year ago this showed that nearly one half of patients in the outpatient setting, not in the hospital, in the outpatient setting, wanted to partake in a spiritual assessment. But 90% of patients reported they were never asked about their beliefs. An interesting thing about this particular study was it asked patients, would you want a healthcare professional to ask? Well, that was only about half. But when they asked, do you want your healthcare professional 
professional desk, then it jumped way up. So having that doctor-patient relationship allows them to have a trust of you even before they know you well, even at the first visit. Uh, a, a study that was uh, just came out, this is the study in American, I mean, the review article in American Family Physician that came out last week says that multiple other studies demonstrate that physicians are not meeting the expectations of patients to discuss spirituality. In other words, they're more open to us asking than most of us are to actually asking. Now, there's a patient benefit. Uh, this article from last week says this, although physicians should respect the right of patients who do not want to discuss this topic, in other words, we only discuss it with their permission and with respect for where they are in their spiritual journey, for sensitivity to, to their cultural boundaries. But although physicians should respect patients who don't want to discuss it, multiple studies show that there are significant relationships between spiritual interventions and improved mental and physical health outcomes. And the third edition of Oxford University's Handbook of Religion and Health that just came out this summer, uh, once again, Harold Koenig from Duke is the, the chief author of that massive book. It's a really thick book, over 7,000 citations, I believe, in it. He says this, assessing and addressing patients' religious or spiritual needs is associated with greater satisfaction of care, better quality of life measures, less depression, fewer unnecessary health services, and better functioning. In other words, our patients can be benefit directly from our inquiring about their spiritual beliefs. And that's just the cover of the third edition of the Handbook of Religion and Health. It's an expensive book, but many libraries, particularly medical libraries, will obtain a copy if you request them to, to do so. The third evidence-based reason for a spiritual assessment is that it can enhance the health professional patient relationship. And so a review article on spiritual assessment that came out in American Family Physician 10 years ago uh, concluded that assessing patient spirituality, in including that into the healthcare encounter, can build trust and rapport broaden the physician-patient relationship, and increase its effectiveness. It's an opportunity to open the door, if you would. It's a standard in quality patient care. Here in America, the Joint Commission is a group that certifies all healthcare institutions, all insurance companies, all hospitals, uh, all surgery centers. Uh, in America, we cannot receive payment from the government or from most insurance companies if our institution is not certified by the Joint Commission. And one of their top requirements, they call it a Class A requirement, is a spiritual assessment. And they say this, a spiritual assessment should, at a minimum, determine the patient's denomination or religion, their beliefs, and what spiritual practices are important to the patient. Why in the world would this academic commission require a spiritual history? Well, they say this. They say it's because this information will assist in determining the impact of spirituality, if any, on the care and services being provided, and will identify if any further assessment is needed or not.
The Association of American Medical Colleges, they certify all of the medical schools here in America, now has required learning goals for medical students regarding uh, spiritual histories. And that now has been in, in effect here uh, formally for about a year, although the latest data that I show shows that at least in America, about 60% of medical schools now require. In Brazil, it's actually a little bit higher than that than it is here in America. So another uh, group of national physicians that provide palliative care say that physicians should consider performing a spiritual assessments for patients who are hospitalized or if they're in a palliative care setting or if they have a critical illness. They say a spiritual assessment can be helpful when a patient undergoes a significant change in clinical status, particularly rapid decompensation. Now, Harold Koenig at Duke asked this question. He said, what would I recommend in terms of addressing spiritual issues in clinical care? Now, the palliative care folks say, well, you may want to consider it only when disease is, is advanced or it's terminal care. But Dr. Koenig and I join him in taking a little different approach, and it's this. First and foremost, health professionals should take a brief spiritual history, and this should be done for all new patients on their first evaluation part of the social history, but especially if they have serious or chronic illnesses or when they're admitted to a hospital, nursing home, health, home health agency, or other healthcare setting. And it's the healthcare professional, not the chaplain, not the staff, who's responsible for doing, he says, a two-minute screening evaluation. I'm going to show you how to do one in just 15 to 30 seconds. Not going to add much time to your day at all. But he says that simply recording the patient's religious denomination or whether they want to see a chaplain, the procedure that most hospitals in America do, is not taking a spiritual history. Lastly, and I won't dive deep into this, I hope maybe we can discuss this in a future time, is that perhaps most importantly, a spiritual history allows us to identify any religious struggle. And here's why that's important. The first study that looked at religious struggle and its effect on healthcare was published 21 years ago. It was a study looking at inpatients at Duke University, half of them on the psychiatric service, half of them on the medical surgical service. And they found that patients who felt alienated from God, patients who felt unloved by God, patients who felt abandoned by God, patients that felt punished by God or the devil, interestingly enough, had a 16% to 28% increased risk in dying during the two-year follow-up. Not just not doing well physically, they actually had almost a one-third increased risk of death just for having religious struggle. I call these the lap factors. L is for unloved. This is in English, of course. L is for unloved. The A is for abandoned by God. The P is punished by God. Those of you who are skilled in other languages could probably come up with your own acrostic that would be just as good. But there's a growing body of research in multiple countries showing the harmful effects both on morbidity and mortality of religious or spiritual struggle among patients with a wide variety of diagnoses, all genders, wide variety of ages. And so the conclusion now is 
that all of us healthcare professionals should be attentive to the signs of religious struggle. We won't talk about how to do that today. Maybe we can come back to that in a future time. Uh, at the end, Peter will be telling us how we can um, get the article on basic spiritual care, but I also do have one on um, advanced uh, spiritual assessment. Uh, that acrostic is called the Lord's Lap, the L for unloved, the A for abandon the P for punished. And uh, that's available to you for free online. And it's in English if you want it. Um, one quick look at a Scottish study on how physicians could view spirituality. Per, uh, this was a, a, a qualitative study done in Scotland. It showed that all of us have basically four choices when it comes to patient spiritual belief in clinical care. Many of you may be like I was when I started practice. I just chose not to explore a patient's spiritual beliefs. I thought wrongly that the patients were kind of the questions were kind of weird or our patients might be upset or offended. And in fact, when I started doing spiritual histories, I did not find one patient that was alarmed or concerned or upset. And my spiritual mentor, I was talking to him one morning, and I expressed to him my surprise that none of my patients seemed offended at all by the spiritual questions. And he said, well, why did you think they would be offended? And I said, because they're pretty strange questions. And he kind of chuckled and looked at me and he said, you doctors ask lots of strange questions. So I don't think patients will be offended by that at all. So my partner and I, almost 37 years ago, decided to begin using a spiritual assessment to help us learn relevant cultural information, clinical background, to understand our patients' belief systems. And in this particular action, beginning to take a spiritual history, physicians, we don't have, you don't have to consider spirituality a shared experience. So this is where an atheist or an agnostic or someone early in their faith can use this as a clinical tool, not necessarily as a spiritual intervention, but just part of providing quality, comprehensive care. A third option, some physicians use the spiritual assessment so they can refer or recommend a patient to a spiritual advisor, a member of the patient's faith community, a chaplain, a pastoral professional. And then finally, I think this will be well, let me go through this. In this situation, physicians may acknowledge the importance of spiritual needs, but don't address those needs themselves, which is fine. Some of you may initially be comfortable at this level, but then I think most ICMDA members are going to want to become the fourth level, and that's the physicians or the healthcare professionals, the doctors who choose to actively engage patients in a discussion about spirituality, how it affects their health, and then offer to join them in their spiritual journey by praying with them or praying for them or doing a spiritual referral or doing any of the many spiritual interventions that we talk about in, in ICMDA's saline process course. So what spiritual assessments could you consider? There's over 40 of them in the literature that have been validated. Some of them are as long as 200 questions. And if you're like me, 
I do not have time to take 200 questions from a patient. But I sort of took all of those, put them together, and I, I came up with a shorter one that I, I want to tell you about. But right now, uh, the, the origin of spiritual assessment tools in the medical literature goes back to the 1960s. It started in the pastoral care literature, the psychiatric literature. As I mentioned, there's 40 tools that are available, but not a lot of them have been developed in the past decade. This has really happened 10, even 20 uh, years ago. One way I like to teach my residents and students to think about a spiritual history was introduced into the literature about 10 years ago. It's called the open and invite technique. And in general, just open the conversation, open the door as part of your social history. And I'm going to suggest some questions to you. You do not have to use these questions. You change them to fit your practice, your culture your country, your language, but this is just some suggestions that you consider. You, may I ask about your faith background? Um, do you have a spiritual or a faith preference? What helps you through hard times? But to sort of open that door and gauge whether there's openness to you opening that a little bit further. And then the second stage is to invite the patient to discuss their spiritual needs. You let them know you're interested in hearing, and then you give them the opportunity to answer. So some ways to do that, if you find out someone is religious or does have a religious background or is spiritual or does have a spiritual background, do you feel that your spiritual health is affecting your physical health or not? Does your spirituality, does your religion, do your beliefs impact the health decisions you make? or not. It's like asking someone, do you use tobacco products or not? Do you use alcohol or not? Do you have a vocation or not? If they answer yes, you may ask a follow-up question. These fit right into the social history that, that we take. Uh, uh, other questions, is there a way that I or another member of, of our team can provide you support? Are there resources in your faith community that you would like uh, me to help mobilize on your behalf? Um, uh, are, are examples. The, the spiritual history that I've used now for almost 35 years, I think is the simplest one that's ever been published. In English, we call them the God questions because the acrostic in English is G-O-D. And, and Peter, I'm going to suggest for those that are listening in Russian and Chinese and French and Spanish, that as you get skilled at this, and some of you already are, you may have an acrostic that fits your language. And if you'd pass those on to us at ICMDA, we can build a database of them that we can share with our colleagues around the world to encourage all of us to open this door uh, of spirituality to each of our patients. But in English, the G stands for God, the O stands for others, the D stands for do. God, others, and do. And, and asking questions under God, may I ask about your faith background? Do you have a spiritual faith or preference? Is God, spirituality, religion, or prayer important to you or not? That's actually the question that I use. In some countries, in some cultures, you wouldn't want to use the word God. You may use higher power. You may use Allah. But, but to open that question up 
in a way that your patients are going to be able to hear where they're coming from. So this is looking at in general, are they religious or have they ever been religious in the past? The O is, are they involved with others in a faith community? So do you now, or have you ever met with others in a religious or spiritual community? And if so, how often? It's like saying, do you use tobacco? And they say, yeah, I smoke cigarettes. Well, how many and for how long? We explore a little bit deeper to find out where they are. I had a, a fellow not too long ago, so I said, is God, faith, prayer, spirituality important to you or not? And he said, oh, it's very, very important. And I said, well, are you part of a spiritual community? He goes, uh, he's a Christian. He says, oh, yes. He said, I'm, I'm very active. I go to church all the time. And I said, well, how often? He said, every Easter and every Christmas. So, you know, he, he didn't go that often. But, but then I found out how important it was to him. Um, so how involved are you in that community? And then for those who are religious or are spiritual, the do is, what can I do to help you incorporate your faith, faith in medical care? Would you like to see a chaplain or pastoral professional? Do you need any religious materials or resources? Would it be okay if I prayed with you? Or would it be okay if I prayed for you? Or may I have others pray for you? All are questions that you can adapt to your personality, to your culture, to your practice situation. In an article published 10 years ago, the do questions there were, is there a way in which you would like us to account for your spirituality in your care? Or is there a way we can provide spiritual support or not? The patient may say, nope, not interested, and that's fine. Are there resources in your faith community that you would like for me to mobilize? Would you like me to call your pastoral professional or call other people who could come alongside you? Now, I'm not going to go through these, through these. They're in the handout. They're all in English, but they are published health, spiritual health questionnaires. One's called the FICA questionnaire. They've been there for a, a long time, since the 1990s. There's the HOPE questions they're called. There's the fact questions. These are all acrostics for spiritual uh, questions you can ask. Then there's the the um, the six question one called the spirit questions. This is used by a lot of chaplains in North America. And once again, those of you who, who are much more skilled than I in other languages can actually come up with your own acrostics. And again, I, I would hope you would suggest them uh, would would send them in to, to Peter and his staff at ICMDA so that we can can gather them. I want to finish my comments with a, a word of caution, and that is, don't ignore don't ignore patient spirituality. Uh, I did for a while, and and I actually suspect many of you are. But also, don't be pushy. And the reason is that professional, ethical, moral, and in some areas even legal problems can occur when well-meaning healthcare professionals push their faith on a patient opposed to discussing religion. We don't want to discuss it without their permission, and we don't want to discuss it without sensitivity and respect for them. But rather than ignoring faith completely in all patients, most of whom want to discuss it, we might want to ask a question to discern who would like to pursue it and who would rather not. I asked a patient not too long ago who was used tobacco. My follow-up question was how much and how often they told me. And I said, when do you want to stop? And that patient said, I don't want to. 
Well, I don't have to tell that patient that that's dangerous to their health. But I did say, would it be okay if I look, address this uh, with you in the future? And they kind of smiled and said, I thought you would. It's same thing about spirituality. Sometimes when we meet someone, they're not interested in talking, or maybe they don't know us well enough, but we can pursue it in the future with them. My last caution is under this, it's forgiveness or permission. More and more around the world, um, those of us in healthcare uh, are working for someone or under the auspices of someone, perhaps it's a government entity, perhaps it's a healthcare institution, perhaps it's a large practice. And very often my students and residents will say, hey, should I just start doing this? And if I get in trouble, then I could ask for forgiveness instead of asking for permission. And my recommendation is that you not do that. My recommendation is that you seek permission. If your institution, if your situation now does not allow for or have spiritual histories, then to simply sit down with whoever you are under the authority of, whoever is your master, to use a biblical term. And you could say something like, you know, I was taking this academic course, and I found out that a quality part of patient care is taking a short spiritual history as part of a social history. And I'd like to give that a try. I'd like to start doing that with our patients. Would that be okay? And to get that permission before you, you move, move forward. So to sum up, the current evidence for the last two decades has encouraged physicians, healthcare professionals, healthcare systems to learn to assess their patient's spiritual health and to provide inner indicated and desired spiritual intervention. Assessing and integrating patient spirituality into the healthcare encounter can build trust and rapport. It can broaden the healthcare professional patient relationship and increases effectiveness. So whew, we covered a lot of stuff and I sure look forward to your questions and I hope I can answer at least some of them. <laughs> Thanks very much, Walt. We've been listening to Walt Laramore speaking to us on the subject of spiritual history and clinical practice. And wow, that was an incredibly comprehensive overview, uh, not just born out of experience, but also really firmly evidence-based. And so, uh, Walt, can we come to the questions? And Colin Slater is just raising the question about the, the source of the, and the cultural background of the scientific literature that you've marshaled is is most of this us based uh and, and and uh if so uh i are you aware of studies that have been done in other cultural backgrounds and do the same can the same lessons be confidently drawn as you've been bringing us yeah that's a great question most of the literature is american uh a, a, then there's a large segment that is North American. Now we're seeing more literature coming out of Great Britain. We're seeing some literature out of Brazil and out of France. So uh, the, the question is, okay, well, great. You know, you, the, those of you in America, it's a, you know, at least used to be a Christian nation or Great Britain used to be a Christian nation. But as I've worked with ICMDA, with the international sailing process, and then I teach, um, 
part-time at a residency in Tulsa. It's a Christian family medicine residency called In His Image. And our graduates from In His Image literally practice around the world. And as we have members of ICMDA and CMDA that go on short-term missions around the world, we have yet to find a country, even very closed countries, where these principles of taking a spiritual history as part of a social history appear to be universal, that people have a universal hole in their heart that is God-shaped. People tend to have a universal trust, at least initially, of healthcare professionals. And so for you to open a door can sometimes be shocking, not because they're offended, but because no healthcare professional has ever cared for them enough to even ask them. When I teach my residency students and when I teach at International Sailing Process or in Grace Prescriptions, I'll often give people a little script on, and what do you do if somebody says, well, why are you asking these questions? I'll just simply say that spiritual beliefs can impact physical and emotional health. So I just find if, want to find out where you are in your spiritual journey, and then find out if you have any beliefs that I need to know about, any beliefs that I need to respect as I care for you. I've only had two patients now in uh, almost 37 years who've even needed that explanation. And I think it's because in general, people trust us if we're showing them respect, if we're being sensitive, and if we ask for permission. You'll notice that the first question in many of, of these uh, validated spiritual assessments is, would you mind if I asked you a little bit about your faith? I've never had anybody say no, but if they did, then I would move on to my next question. It might be tobacco use or alcohol use or whatever. It's a great question. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, again, just to remind about the evidence, people who've been on uh, ICMDA webinars before may well recognize the name Harold Koenig and the Handbook of Religion and Health, because we had Harold doing a webinar just a short time ago, which is still available on the website. And Walter, I think you said 7,000 reference studies in that Oxford publication. So a question now from uh, Selma Fami, who's saying, uh, have you found different reactions depending on what faith the patient has, atheist, Muslim, Christian, and so on? And uh, yeah. a follow-up, do, do you ever... Do you get a lot of personal questions about your own faith when you ask? And, and does that ever lead to a religious debate in the middle of the consultation? And, and I think Selma's probably asking, I'm guessing, from an Islamic perspective here, where uh, generally Muslims yeah. love to talk about faith and, and particularly to uh, even to argue about it. Yeah. So oh, no, those you are comment on the different cultural backgrounds of patients. Yeah, you know, one wonderful question. No, actually, because I'm not asking about Christianity, I'm asking about their spiritual or their religious beliefs, background, uh, relate uh, experiences that they that they can share with me. Um, now, many of us in our health uh, care uh, encounters, whether they be medical or dental don't have great deal of time. And so there may be, as we take our history, a number of issues that we identify. 
usually we can't take care of all of them at that encounter. We have to prioritize them into what's most important and then delay some to another time. And so for patients who, when they find out, when I kind of open that spiritual door, they find out that I'm interested in their belief system. I have had a few patients, only a few, who then want to kick that door down. I mean, they want to, boom, get in there and get talking about it. And I just have to say, I, I would love to have this discussion at some point. I only have this much time today. And so let's go back to the main reason that you're here. And then I can schedule that time later. Now, that may be time that I schedule in a clinical encounter, or it may be time that I schedule when I'm not in a, a clinical encounter. It may be a question or an argument I can't answer, and I need to have someone else join, perhaps a pastoral professional or a theologian or, or something like that. Um, do I notice cultural differences in patients when I take a spiritualist? history. I have not. And Mission Medical Clinic here in Colorado Springs, we have refugees that we take care of literally from around the world. And I've, I've found no difference. Uh, some are religious, some are not. Some are very active in their spiritual community, some are not. Some have been active their whole life, some not. Some it's more recent, some it's not. So these general spiritual questions, I've not noticed many differences. Where I do notice difference is in the advanced spiritual history. You'll, you'll notice that I talked a little bit about religious struggle and how critical it is to find out about it because it affects morbidity and mortality of all of our patients if they have religious struggle. If they think their disease is because God doesn't love them, if they're religious, if they're religious, and they believe God doesn't love them, that's why they have whatever, or God has abandoned them. Uh, they ask for healing and, and they didn't get it, and they think God abandoned them, or they think God's punishing them. When I do the religious um, struggle questions, I notice quite a difference. For example, in Orthodox patients, Roman Catholic patients, Muslim patients, those that struggle with religious struggle, and in hospitalized patients, it's roughly half of every patient that we have in the hospital. But those that feel God might be punishing them, uh, uh, Catholic, Orthodox, and Muslim, uh, in those religious tenets. Uh, those that believe God has abandoned them, I see that in Pentecostal, charismatic Christian patients, some of my more fundamental evangelical patients. I also see that very commonly in Hindu, Hindu and Buddhist patients. Um, some Sometimes in Wiccan, they don't necessarily there believe God abandoned them, but that the spirits abandoned them and the angels abandoned them, or satanic forces abandoned, abandoned them. Remember that in religious struggle, one of the questions that was asked in the original Duke study, do you believe God's punishing you or do you believe Satan's punishing you? And actually the Satan question had the highest association with religious struggle, 28% mortality two years later. So that's a great question. Yes, there are differences, not in openness, but sometimes in the answers, particularly the answers to religious struggle. Just to give you a real quick insight into what do you do with someone who has religious struggle, I find very few healthcare professionals have the training, expertise, or experience to deal with that. That's a really deep theological question, irrespective of the patient's religious background. And, and I, I normally recommend people that that's, that's a point of involving a pastoral professional of that patient's religious background. Oh, oh and then oh, to finish up, 
for patients with whom I'm going to have an ongoing relationship, this opens the door to spiritual discussions, particularly in the do. Would it be okay if I prayed with you? And the patient says, yes, then I know that prayer can become an intervention that I can use in future visits or in that visit. Or is it okay if I pray for you or my family prays for you between now and the next visit? Um, would you like a spiritual referral to talk more about this or a spiritual consult or uh, telling a faith story or doing a faith prescription? All of these spiritual interventions that we talk about in the saline process here at ICMDA, uh, by taking a spiritual history, it's apart from praying for a patient, spiritual history is the easiest spiritual intervention because it's an academic quality-based intervention that anybody can do. You may be a little scared to start it, but you were scared the first time you started an IV or the first time you took out a tooth or the first time you did a spinal tap. So it's always kind of scary to start a new skill, but as you practice it more, it will become second nature. Yeah, and it's great the way that you've introduced this as a clinical skill, something you just slot naturally into the spiritual, the uh, the history that you're taking anyway. We've got a number of questions, Walt, here about how far uh, can we go? Should we go if we think if we think the door is opening? And uh, Kenneth Tan is writing here from Indonesia. He says he's doing clinical ro rotations. He's tried taking a spiritual history with some of his patients, and a few have expressed interest in his Christian beliefs. There have been one or two instances where this has led to the gospel being communicated and being well received by the patient and he says at the moment i'm tempted to challenge the patient to express his faith by praying to to jesus well what's your recommendation is it ethical to do so in a hospital setting or should doctors schedule another meeting outside the hospital and i know you've already spoken yeah. to us about the place of prayer in the consultation but um can you address this question how, how far can or should you go in a clinical yeah. context, if you really feel the door is opening up? Yeah, that, that's a great question. In, in medicine uh, and, and in dental care and nursing care, we're all taught techniques. We're taught this is how you do it. In fact, when I started doing surgery, the surgeon that was training me would say, do you want to do it my way or do you want to watch me do it my way? You know, everything's about technique. Uh, we will say, you know, you watch one, you do one, and you teach one. But God doesn't work that way. Our spiritual lives aren't lives of technique. Now, we have disciplines, of course, but every patient is different. And so I teach my residents and students to walk into that clinical situation in the power of the Holy Spirit, but leaving the results to God. You're bringing him in that environment with you. And I'm asking him, God, what are you doing in this patient's life? And how can I join you? What's your leading? And that still quiet voice will sometimes encourage you to go deeper. Sometimes it will encourage you to stop. Same exact patient, same exact response, but a different leading of the Holy Spirit. And so to walk into those clinical situations in the power of the Holy Spirit, and then just being very sensitive to, Lord, what would you have me do here? But what if the patient gives you permission, for example, to pray? 
Well, Dr. Koenig, for example, he takes the tack that it's not appropriate for healthcare professionals to pray with patients, but rather call a chaplain or a pastoral professional in. What we find in the sailing process in almost every country is that most of our healthcare professionals that go through training with the international sailing process or with grace prescriptions here in America develop a comfort praying with patients. Now, for me, I initially prayed with patients after I delivered a baby. That was where I kind of started doing it. It seemed appropriate. It fit. I was comfortable. From there, I started praying with patients in critical care situations, in the intensive care unit with they, them and their family, even intubated patients, as long as they gave me permission. Then it would be my patients in the emergency department that I would pray with. And then it would be patients in the clinic and the outpatient clinic who are having more severe difficulties. And finally, it's reached the point that I now offer it to all of my patients. In the last, oh, maybe 10 years, I've had two, two patients who said no, well, three, but two, two scenarios. One was a 23-year-old woman who I found out had been religious in the past, but had no religion now. She'd grown up a Christian, but had, by her, her history, had left the faith, had no involvement with religion at all. And so at the end of our uh, time together, I said to her uh, how honored I was to be able to care for her. I looked forward to our future visits. I said, one of my practices now, because I believe in prayer is praying with my patients before we end our visit. Would that be okay? Or, and then I'll, I'll, I'll say, I'll move my hands like this, or, or would you rather not? And she said, absolutely not. I said, that's no problem. If you ever would like that in the future, you will let me know. It's like, do you want to stop smoking tobacco? Absolutely not. No problem. We come back to that in the future. You know, I'm not offended. It's like, okay, you don't want me to pray with you. But anyway, she said, absolutely not. Several visits later, she uh, approached the question again. She said, do you remember when you asked me if, if, if you could pray? And I said, no. I said, I do. And I, I hope that wasn't offensive to you. She says, uh, well, it kind of was. She said, and the reason is because I left the faith because a pastor began to abuse me sexually and physically and emotionally. I hated everything about him and I hated everything about his faith. And when you asked that question, I saw his faith on yours. My eyes misted because she trusted, somehow she trusted me enough to come back. A man, somehow a man of faith, somehow she trusted me enough to tell me this story. And I said, I, I'm so grateful that you would share that with me. Thank you for sharing that story. And she said, well, it's because I've learned to trust you. And I know you care for me. And would you pray for me? And I was comfortable doing it. But each of you in your own situations will have to determine what's the Lord leading you to do in your patient care. And I would encourage you, take tiny steps first. You, you know, you don't go to medical school or dental school and learn every skill the first day. But what is it you can do? Maybe you just start out praying for patients. And then maybe you start taking a spiritual history. And then maybe you start praying with some patients. But be sure that whatever spiritual, spiritual interventions you start doing, it, have an accountability group that's praying for you and that you can meet with from time to time or talk with or share emails or social media. How's it going? What are you learning? Where have you goofed up? What mistakes have you made? And then you forge forward 
as a as a Christian warrior who just happens to be a doctor or a dentist. Thanks so much, Walter. Often the problem, as you as you've outlined, it's often not the patient who has any objections. Some some might, but they're in the minority. But um, often the trouble comes from from colleagues, doesn't it, or from from the uh, authorities we work with. Someone makes a complaint that perhaps who perhaps wasn't even in the consultation doesn't know what was said. And do you have have any advice about? Jonathan Buckley's asking here how to engage with secular or atheist colleagues about promoting this practice in our institutions. Absolutely. I I can imagine they might find it difficult seeing the worth of it because they personally discount all that stuff as unimportant or irrelevant, even if the evidence suggests patients value it highly. And and I can certainly imagine uh, if if you did go to uh, some of the, the secular supervisors of our institutions here in the UK and, and ask for permission, then that permission would certainly not be forthcoming or, or they'd view it very suspiciously indeed. So how do you engage with secular atheist colleagues around this question? Yeah, you know, the, when the Joint Commission in here in America came out with a requirement for spiritual history, for, for every healthcare professional, uh, admit, admitting a patient to a healthcare institution, the most common talk that I was asked to give were to agnostic and atheists about spiritual history. Why are they requiring this? And how do I do it? And, and what do I do with the information? Because it's purely, in its essence, a clinical skill. We as Christians have the privilege of Christianizing that or doing it uh, in association with with biblical precepts, if you would. But Peter, that's the reason I always recommend permission. Uh, that way, that stops the the um, it, it lessens the impact of any sort of legal or disciplinary action because you're just doing what you have permission to do. Secondly, at least here in America, the majority of the complaints that have come into the Christian medical and dental associations by healthcare professionals who are being disciplined, upon investigation, we find out they were just pushing their faith without permission, without respect, without sensitivity. They're being morons. You know, they they were looking for a spiritual scalp. They were pushing instead of meeting the patient where they were and taking a step with them. And the third recommendation I have is I always include the spiritual intervention in my clinical record. So I might say something like, based upon my spiritual history, the patient indicated that they would like me to pray with them, and I offered a short prayer with them. So I've got documentation. I'm not hiding it. I'm not trying to keep it secret. I'm doing it with permission. And in an institution where I am the employee I'm doing it with documentation. The other reason is I kind of I'm getting older now, so I tend to forget things. And so if it's in the note, then I get to come back to it last time and say, hey, I see here that we we prayed last time and not a lot of patients asked me for that. So how would that go for you? You know, and, and get that second sense like, well, that was pretty cool. I hope you'll do that today. Or God, that really felt weird. I'll say, well, we don't have to do that anymore if you don't want to. <laughs> Uh, great. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, certainly, we've we've run out of time. We still have questions <coughs> coming, but um, I think Martin, that's Martin back from South Africa, who's a, another family doctor, 
sums it up by saying thanks Walt for sharing and allowing us to use your material I think including spirituality has greatly enriched my life so I'd encourage others to follow your example and you'll have better patient doctor relationships uh, says says Martin so and a, a reminder too, Walt uh, who you will have picked up at the beginning was uh, one of the joint authors of what was initially the saline solution and became the saline process, which is one of the courses that ICMDA rolls out. And you'll find more information about those courses on the website where you can be trained, not just in spiritual history taking, but with a whole lot of other tools uh, as, as well, which you'll be able to use in your clinical practice, uh, tools which are evidence-based uh, as well. I think it just remains to me to say thanks again, Walt, for your you're sharing your time, your experience, your wisdom, uh, and your teaching with us, and for the personal encouragement and the the uh, the wise way in which you approach this uh, under the Holy Spirit's leading. And uh, we we thank uh, all of you for coming along and making this a success. So uh, the Lord bless you, and we hope to see you again soon on ICMDA webinars. Thank you.